Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine, Sports Medcast in collaboration with the BJSM. I am Caitlin Mooney, a primary care sports medicine physician at UT Health San Antonio, and I will be your host today. On this podcast, we will be discussing sports bras with Dr. Katie Rizzoni, who is a sports medicine physician and associate professor of orthopedics and pediatrics at the University of Rochester. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to chat on this topic. I think this is such an important topic for women and girls in sports. It is great that female participation in physical activity has increased over the last half a century, but breast support and comfort are essential to keep women participating comfortably. While bras are something that women are familiar with and wear every day, I don't think we think much about the bra or the sports bra. What got you interested in this topic? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's been almost 50 years um, since Title IX was passed, and it's been a wonderful accelerant in terms of increasing female participation in sport, both at the community level and at the high school level uh, and the collegiate level. And, you know, watching the uh, women's soccer team play in Tokyo, it's pretty amazing because, again, 50 years ago, that that type of stuff wasn't happening. So, Interestingly, and, and as a female athlete myself, there is a paucity of research on the sports bra, which I would say for the vast majority of women is an essential piece of sporting equipment. So we have a lot of research on helmets, right, for concussion. We have research on protected pads for collision sports. We have research on shoe wear you know, for uh, maybe like sprinting events and things like that. And in terms of how it impacts biomechanics of an athlete, injury risk and performance. But there's really not much on sports bras, which again, most women are going to need. Um, and with that increase in participation, we're just seeing a lot more female athletes, period. So what got me interested is because as a female athlete, there wasn't much out there. Um, and, you know, we were just kind of sitting around at a conference saying, yeah, you know, there's not really much out there. And I fully endorse the use of Twitter for keeping up on what's happening in, in the sporting community and, and in research. And I think there was someone who posted something. I was like, oh, that's really interesting because there's a group in Great Britain who looks at uh, some of the biomechanics of sports bras and there's a group in Australia. There's people out there doing great work, but no one had really done anything on American women and not to be totally focused on the United States. But since I live here, you know, there, there wasn't anything and we have a pretty large population. We felt as a group that it was important to get some data. So this was one of those on the back of a napkin ideas after we had gone out for a late dinner and people were saying, you know, these are all other female sports uh, medicine physicians. And we're like, we should do something. So that's where this all started. That's such a great story. When we were approached about doing this podcast, I really wanted to be the host because I remember Google searching this. It must have been actually about 15 years ago. And there really wasn't anything. And it must have been a specific question I had in my head. But it just went to the back burner. I never thought about it again until I saw your um, this talk come out at AMSSM. So it's really great that you guys actually looked into it. Can you give us a brief history of breast support in sport? How did the sports bra actually come into existence? So um, with the increase in physical activity that was, you know, pretty much um, encouraged by Title IX, but also it was really with the advent of running, like, you know, in the 70s, like kind of running for recreation and uh, physical activity and health was really uh, highlighted and that trend started. So 
I uh, have definitely run in a regular, I guess what I'll call fashion bra before, because I forgot my bra, you know, when, when I was going to do a workout and I hate it, it's, it's uncomfortable. Um, I'm like, God, I'm wrecking, you know, this regular bra, you know, I, here I am working out, getting a good workout and sweating and uh, it, it's itchy and it's scratchy and I'm wrecking this fabric that I've spent a ton of money on. So the history is that there really wasn't much out there for many, many years, even at the high level of sports, women, I mean, if you think about it, at the early Olympics, women were probably still wearing corsets uh, to, to participate, which is crazy. So people were wearing what I would either say regular bras or fashion bras or non-sports bras to be active. And again, any woman, woman who has done that knows how uncomfortable that is. So the first sports bra was actually, it, it, in terms of um, how the story and how the history goes, was um, from two women who were active, wanted to get running, had a friend who was a costume designer, and they basically took one of the women's boyfriend's two jock straps, hopefully clean, and um, sewed them together. And uh, if you look at the pictures of the prototype, like if you Google that, it's kind of crazy. Like it works out fine. It makes sense. But yeah, I think we just take for granted that, you know, you can go and get a sports bra pretty much anywhere, whether or not it's going to fit you and, and feel good and, and be an appropriate price is another thing. Uh, these women were really starting from literally scratch. And so from there, had an entrepreneurial bent and um, invented what they called was the jog bra and started to market that. And just like I think anything uh, that's a really good idea, companies realize the market for it. And I was born in the late seventies and, you know, probably I would say, so what was that? I mean, a couple years after this was invented is when I was born. Um, and so that's the type of thing that I think through the eighties and nineties, I mean, certainly by the time I was participating in sports in high school in the nineties, there were options out there, not as many as today but there is definitely options out there. So um, I think it's been a very natural progression, but again, I'll highlight just how long that all took. I mean, like thinking about just the evolution of sneaker technology, right? And shoe technology, you know, everyone's foot is different. Everyone's playing different sports. Um, for a long time, there was just kind of very uh, standard sports bras that were available. And now we're seeing more and more that, you know, women might have some choices in terms of what type of um, bra they'd like to have. So again, I think about it and maybe if that's the one thing that people can come away from this podcast, if there's only one thing, is that sports bras is really an essential piece of equipment for women who are going to be active, whether playing organized sports or not, just to be active, to be physically active. Because I think everyone in AMSSM is a strong component of exercise as medicine. So we really want people to be able to be encouraged to be active. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about somehow, sometimes how um, breast size can uh, really prevent that from happening. Yeah, we certainly have come a long way from the original breast supports and sports. It's really hard to believe that even when people were coming through the Title IX pipeline that they weren't using sports bras. I can't even imagine doing cross country or running, which was my sport, without them. So that just seems so uncomfortable. And I agree, it's just such an essential piece of equipment for women athletes. It's hard for me to believe that it started with something as simple as a jock shop and those women are great entrepreneurs to have started with something that they can use as a prototype and really go from there some of those historical options of corsets though just sound so painful and it's incredible that anyone was participating at that time it really i think highlights that there's obviously back historically there was a lot of gender disparity in sport um, I mean, we continue to see that in terms of even just at the national team level, I'll use the women's soccer team as an example. The, the World Cup has been played on turf. 
for women because it's deemed to be um, you know, less expensive to use those stadiums and less maintenance versus the men are playing on grass fields. And we, but we also know at the same time that turf may increase risk of someone injuring their ACL. And we know that women uh, athletes are at a higher risk of tearing their ACL, um, same as the pay disparity you know, at the national team level and also the professional sports level. So you can make everything snowballed and everything. I understand that. But I think that overarchingly, there's still just less emphasis on, uh, again, equipment that is pertaining specifically to women and, you know, injuries that affect women more, you know, with the exception of of ACL uh, research, which I think, you know, goes pretty broad and and in depth, you know, stress fractures, I still are think we we still don't have a ton of great data um, and we're getting there um, and stress fractures affect women um, at a higher rate. So I think it just highlights it's another aspect of the gender disparity in sports. Agreed. There's so many, there's so much information on the uh, gender disparities in healthcare and sports now that it will be exciting to see hopefully more research come out that will address that. Can you tell me a little bit about what issues women athletes have with their breasts? Yeah, I mean, certainly what we saw in our study, and I think what other studies have found as well, is that there's a number of women who really highlight as lack of support as being a barrier or an obstacle to being more physically active. I th- in our study, um, we, we looked at a population of 11 to 64, so we had a pretty wide range, but then we did also specifically focus on the adolescent population of 11 to 18 and, you know, look at answers um, stratified by both those groups and more than a quarter in both the overarching um, group of the, of the cohort, but also um, women between the ages of 11 to 18 identified that lack of support uh, or breast pain or breast discomfort prevented them from being as active as they wanted to be. So that is one. And the other thing that I will highlight is, you know, there's really uh, an economic disparity in sport. I mean, we know this, right? We talk about this with specialization. Um, we talk about this with access to safety equipment um, for sports, but sports bras are really expensive and it's particularly sports bras that may be more comfortable for women. So I, there's a huge economic disparity, uh, particularly in, in women in, in, in the lower economic income quartiles. And so that, I think, is another barrier. So price was identified as another barrier. And then also just comfort, right? I mean, so support's important. I mean, overwhelmingly support was identified as the highest concern or barrier by the people in our cohort, but also comfort as well. And it's interesting because, you know, we didn't, these were not qualitative um, interviews. You know, we didn't really engage with the participants who, was in, who are in our cross-sectional study. But it was almost, I was surprised at the gap between um, support and comfort identified as being important. It's almost like women are like, well, if I have to pick between both, I pick support, which is kind of crazy. Like, I mean, you would want, you would hope that people would, you know, be feeling comfortable as well. Yeah, and that's very interesting to think about actually all of those issues. I know when I am in groups of people in sporting events, different types of people also have different issues with their sports bras. So it's interesting to see now with the uh, Facebook, internet, all these sorts of Facebook groups for different sporting events, how women will come together and discuss which ones work for them for their sport. 
So I think you're right. The balance between support and comfort, sometimes I see people recommending things that I wouldn't even have thought of just because I have a completely different body than they do. And also about the economic factor, it's interesting to think of how that might be, those groups of people are also sometimes the groups of people who aren't participating as much in sport and whether if they had better access to more supportive or more comfortable bras, if that would impact that. I know there's, like you said, the snowball effect of multiple other issues with um, that getting everybody to participate in sports, especially in the lower socioeconomic groups, just being there's a lot of barriers. But I wonder if how many people that's a huge factor for. Yeah, I think you really hit on the intersection of uh, economics and health, right? And, and we know that. And I, I hope this is going to be, um, you know, with, between COVID and the fight for racial justice, like over the last 18 months, I view this as an opportunity for us within sports medicine, but also in the larger field of medicine to just really be very focused on these disparities because they're real and we know about it. We, we know about them. And there's a lot of research epidemiologically showing that but then, you know, what are our action steps in, in terms of uh, addressing that? And I think, you know, it's social media, I think, is can be negative in so many ways. I, I say this on a podcast, uh, which is ironic. But I also think it can be really positive because one of the issues with sports, I mean, you know, you, again, I'll use shoes as an analogy. So, I mean, there are many, many, many discussion groups about different types of shoes and their fit and you know how long their wear is and their costs and things like that and that definitely uh, exists for sports bodies but just not to the nth degree because if you think about it again it's a female focused thing it's really geared in on that segment of the population whereas you know probably anyone feels like they can talk about shoes so every woman is different every breast is different the vast majority of women's breasts are two different sizes you know so can you imagine if you had to buy two different sneakers uh you know i I know people have to do this um you know if your your feet are two different sizes or two different comforts and we're just kind of like yeah whatever like here's your bra so i mean I I know this sounds very avant-garde or even a radical thought, but, you know, I mean, should we have custom sports bras? It would probably be super expensive, but we have custom orthotics. You know, we do a lot of things at this point that are really geared towards a good fit. So, um, you know, I think that that's thought about in female athletes who are maybe, you know, post mastectomy or, you know, there's a lot of obviously medical um, things that happen to the breast postpartum. I mean, you know, if someone's breastfeeding or post-pregnancy, I mean, your breasts are totally different. So there are some sports bras out there for postpartum women, but you know, there's not like the, um, I don't think there's a selection and then women who are of a larger size. I think we're doing so much better on social media, um, talking about, you know, the dangers of fat shaming and um, really advocating for everyone to feel confident and comfortable to becoming physically active. Because as you pointed out, oftentimes there's an intersection of that, you know, increased BMI and lower socioeconomic status and coupled with not appropriate access or not good access to sporting equipment that is necessary for that to occur. I mean, that's, you know, again, that might be a big barrier. And that's, I think one of the next steps that our research group is, you know, really interested in having is, you know, talking a little bit more um, in depth with some of the people that were participants in the study, just to even see, you know, where again are those barriers? Because I'm sure companies, I think, you know, like Nike and Adidas, and, you know, I, I don't even know all the brand names because I, I buy my sports bras at Target because they're less expensive. Um, it, it's one of those things where those companies are interested, but in the end, are they really basing it off of true feedback from women? And are they making things not only 
with good support, but are they comfortable and are they affordable? And that's a, that's a hard trifecta, you know, to hit. Thanks. Um, I wanted to include a little question on something that I actually didn't even realize was something that was on the market or anything until I was doing some research for this podcast, but I came to realize that there actually are some sports bras for men. And that makes sense to me, even though I never thought about it before, because some men do have breasts and would probably want support for exercise. Did you see anything on research regarding this? Or I know there would be probably a lot less of that, but have you seen any information on this topic? Um, that's a really good question. I have personally not, um, but it totally makes sense. And we definitely, we wanted to be very inclusive in our research studies. So we um, did not exclude based off of, we, we based our inclusion on, on gender identity and, and not um, based off of uh, biological sex. So, so our study was inclusive in that, that uh, the transgender community was a large part of our respondents. But I mean, I think that's another consideration as well. But in terms of cis men, I don't know of anything out there, but I really think to your point, there's probably a lot of men who would find more comfort, you know, I mean, um, and so that's, that's a whole nother area. I feel like that needs to be studied, which is great because I certainly think if that's holding people back from being active, that's, you know, super important, um, to be able to, to highlight. So I don't know of any specific research on it or someone specifically looking at it, but again, that's a whole nother arena that would be great, um, you know, to kind of look at and, and get into. And I don't think I saw any research either, but I'll try to include in any show notes on there, at least a link to some people who have tried different things for men, just in case there's any listeners who uh, that's something they want to look into for either themselves or even for patients. Totally. Cause I think that's the type of thing where I, I know I need to get better about, you know, just being like, what are the actual barriers? Like, you know, we, everyone who has a BMI that's elevated and outside of what our recommended range are is, I think they know, they know what they need to do, but are we good about actually assessing what the barriers are? And certainly I think for, for male patients, for male athletes, that's probably a barrier that, um, you know, not only do we not ask about it in females, but I don't think we ask about males. So I think that's a really good point you bring up. Well, thanks so much. Finding solutions to this could potentially improve physical activity rates. What are some future directions of research that you're thinking about right now? Well, I mean, some you've kind of brought up. I mean, I think the male athlete um, chest and bra support would be something interesting. Um, there are good biomechanical researchers out there. Like I said, there's a lab in Great Britain. I think there's a lab in Australia as well. Um, and um, those are folks, I think, you know, I mean, there's not that many sports bras publications in PubMed, so you can zero in on them. So I think more biomechanical research would be important. But as I um, mentioned before, I think some qualitative stuff would be important. And certainly my interest uh, is looking at, you know, how is this a barrier to uh, physical activity? Not necessarily even sports. Like I think that's super important, but to the general population as a whole, especially again, with a number of young people who are already overweight or obese, um, you know, how does this uh, impact, you know, what, what their barriers are to physical activity. So, um, and again, that could be males as well, not just females. So I think the sky's the limit. They just, you know, I, I really feel like for how many years, you know, we've been becoming involved in sports and uh, all the other technologies we have, so, so many other things, this has really been understudied. So I think there's a lot of it. And hopefully um, people listen to this podcast 
you know, if you have some brainstorming ideas, feel free to reach out to, you know, contact me and, and let's continue to brainstorm because I think that's important. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge with us, Katie. I'd like to thank you for taking the time for this discussion and the AMSSM as well for giving us this platform. It will be exciting to follow this over the next few years. If, if people have any questions, is there any way that they can contact you? Yeah, probably the best way would be through email or Twitter. Uh, I do uh, check my messages. On. I know Dr. Mooney is very good at Twitter. Um, I'm so-so at Twitter. So um, my email address is Catherine underscore Rizzoni, R-I-Z-Z-O-N-E, at urmc.rochester.edu. I'm pretty sure that's out in the public sphere someplace. Um, so, But certainly, I'm, uh, I'm sure you could contact AMSSM. Jody obviously has a great list of all the people that we have, but you know, I think let's just keep uh, collaborating and interacting and, and brainstorming together. It's, it's again, it's you can tell how passionate I am about it. I think a lot of other people feel the same way. <laughs>